Hello, and welcome to another edition of Forrester's CX Cast. Each week, we speak with an analyst from the customer experience team about their research or discuss a customer experience topic in the news. Along with my co host, analyst Diana Lawfer, my name is Sam Stern. You will hear both of our voices each week. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of CX Cast. This is Sam Stern, your co-host, joined, as always, by my co-host, Diana Laufer. Hi, everyone. And this week's episode is a little meta because it's inspired by another podcast episode, uh, one from Planet Money that was a, a recent episode of theirs. It's actually, I'm going to look at it to read it to you. It is episode number 732. Gosh, Diana, imagine if we make it to 732 CX Cast episodes. That's a long time from now. Yeah. But uh, it was called Bad Form, comma, Wells Fargo, with form sort of being a play on words there, or, or a double entendre. The jumping off point here, I think, Diana, was that the idea that not only was the Wells Fargo scandal about what their employees did to their customers, opening accounts in their names, fake accounts, many accounts, uh, if you don't know the story, it's it's been all over the news, but also it was what they did to their employees, because there were a lot of potential whistleblowers, people who tried to blow the whistle mm-hmm. on all the bad things that were happening, and many of them were fired and, worse, blacklisted by Wells Fargo so that they couldn't get another job in finance. And this isn't high-flyer, you know, seven-figure salary bonuses, bankers who could then just go to their Bahama Island or whatever. This was people who were making very little money and not being able to get a job in finance was pretty much the difference between them having enough to eat and them being in poverty. Yeah, I mean, there were people at the start of their career, in the yeah. middle of their career, that had learned the banking industry. They very much liked what they did. Yeah. They, they they were the type of idealistic people that didn't want to participate in Wells Fargo's culture anymore and wanted to leave, but they were, they were stuck. So this really became a blacklist, like you said, on their resume. And um, not to s- sort of repeat the the, <laughs> the podcast. If you're right. more, if you're interested in all the details, go listen to Planet Money. But um, the the whole idea of how this worked was they wanted to put into place a system to make sure that bankers were doing the right thing. So they introduced this U five form where mm-hmm. the companies could, um, if they had a banker that was fraudulent or was doing something illegal, they could put it down so that other companies would know. Oh, I shouldn't hire this person. And Wells Fargo used this process really against their employees. And I don't know that the total numbers have been. It up, but something like 5,000 employees now can't find other yeah. banking jobs. So not only did they um, get put in a really difficult situation, and I think what's what's frustrating to me is, you know, culture guy here in terms of my research, looking at it as you had p- employees passionate about your work, the work of your company, mm-hmm. passionate enough to really care when they saw it being twisted in this way to speak up when they had to imagine or guess or worry that that could be used against them and they're getting punished. And then the message received by anyone else who maybe wasn't quite as passionate as those that first cohort of employees who tried to speak up was don't say anything, don't care enough to raise this as an issue. And I, I just think it's, it's depressing <laughs> to yeah. see that play out that way. And the way the Planet Money podcast positioned it, a well-intentioned regulation to not let these bad apples go from bank to bank to bank doing bad things mm-hmm. be turned around and used against good actor employees 
by Wells Fargo in this case. Yeah, and the employees really have no recourse yeah. um, because they don't control these forms. They can't really appeal them. If they want to appeal them, they have to hire a lawyer, and that's very expensive. And like like you said, a lot of these people, they don't, they don't yeah. have lots of money in the Cayman Islands, so they don't really have recourse. <laughs> and to me, this, this really speaks to how broken the culture was at Wells Fargo because yeah. it wasn't just the employees and the frontline managers that are putting poor incentives you know, into place, it goes all the way up into the people that are saying, we are going to instill a culture of retribution yeah. in anyone who speaks out against what we're doing. Yeah. And what's striking to me is Wells Fargo has sort of had a reputation in the last few years as being, you know, the big bank in the States that is sort of different in this respect, right? That they are a better actor. Maybe they're not on the level of USAA or Mm-hmm. you know, some of the um, credit unions, but that they are certainly better than Bank of America or City. And here we find evidence that that was all really a mirage, right? That this <laughs> behind the scenes as yeah. they, you know, acted like, the, oh, the nice, nice bank that, uh, you know, harken, harkens they... back to their, their ancient history of the Wells Fargo man. It's, it's, it's nothing of the kind. No. And I mean, we're at fault. We used to cite them all the time in terms of doing good things like ethnographic research, really trying yeah. to understand their customers. We put uh, one of their executives on our stage <laughs> in New York at our <laughs> customer experience forum in June, and he was a yeah. very highly rated speaker. And so not to say that there are a lot of people that are trying to do great things there, but um, unfortunately now it's completely overshadowed by the yeah. scandal and the people that are really you know, part of this uh, brokenness. And Sam, I think, I think when we think back to sort of the original thing that came out, the, you know, bankers opening all of these fraudulent accounts, um, what came out was that it was driven by these crazy goals set for people. You have to open this many accounts every month. It seems like the incentives were really just misaligned. Uh, what, What about our sort of culture research speaks to, to some of that. It is striking to me, and it's an example I use in a lot of client conversations now, because mm-hmm. everybody knows the story from the news. And while it isn't about customer experience goals that they were gaming, yeah. it does speak to what is most likely to happen when you have a goal that's hard to control mm-hmm. as an individual employee, or just hard to achieve, or that the organization is driving you too hard to achieve without any context or any efforts to make it realistic that you can achieve it. (laughs) And it seems like all three of those things were happening here at Wells Fargo, that they focused maniacally on number of accounts opened without thinking about what are the conditions that lead to customers wanting to open more accounts with us. And that's where I think you can find the connection to customer experience because a good condition would be if we trust, we being customers, trust Wells Fargo with Mm -hmm. our money, if they do a good job, with my checking account or with my mortgage or with my investment account, then I am more likely at the margin to open another account with them. Mm -hmm. The problem from Wells Fargo's perspective is that may be a weak signal, so it doesn't happen as much as they'd like or as often as they'd like, and it might be a deferred decision that the customer is going to make of, yeah, checking account, well, but I don't need a mortgage for now because I rent or I just bought a house and it's not time to refinance. So I'm years away from a mortgage, whatever the reason. Mm-hmm. So in three years, yeah, I can give Wells Fargo more of my business, but I don't have it to give it to them now. And it, here you had all these bankers sitting in their offices needing accounts open that day, that week. That led to a lot of the really bad versions of these behaviors. The personal life example that sticks out to me is our former colleague, Megan Burns, used to always talk about CX as being the diet, eat healthy and, and exercise version 
of the, you know, in the business world, right? Mm -hmm. Advice that everyone knew they should do, but that no one followed. And the Wells Fargo example is like standing on the scale and being held to account for what you weigh without any guidance about what you can do to weigh the right weight the next day. Yeah. It's just a maniacal focus on you must hit this weight. You or you know, in their case probably you must lose this many pounds by tomorrow. You must open this many accounts by tomorrow. And that completely detaches from what do you do to lose weight. And 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 what I like about that analogy is different people need to have different weight loss <laughs> plans, right? For some it is about changing their diet. For others it is about increasing their activity. For others it's you know, it's, it's going to be surgery or something more, more major, right? They're, they're be, different people need different approaches to that, that same goal. And you need to look at it in that way rather than just saying you must lose this weight and there will be serious consequences if you don't. To me, the Wells Fargo situation also talks to something that Harley Manning has spoken about recently, which is about how CX is really about playing the long game. Yes. Right? If you can garner your customer's loyalty, then maybe they will be a Wells Fargo customer for life. And um, they will, you know, when they have to do their mortgage, they'll open it up with you and their kid's first, you know, checking account will be Wells Fargo. And then that, you know, kid will will go on. And that takes a long time to happen. A lot longer than just saying this month, you need to find 20 customers that are opening new checking accounts. It really speaks also to the fact that incentives are so aligned to the short term Uh, with really no reflection in the long term. Yeah, it's a great point. It reminds me, since we're doing a podcast tribute episode here, (laughs) I was listening to uh, the Ezra Klein show yesterday, and he had the CEO of Stripe, another financial services company on. I believe the guy's name is Patrick Collison. He was talking about his reverence for Jeff Bezos at Amazon. And what he was saying, he was so impressed about what they'd done, is they had used their ability to fundamentally use different time horizons for when they were going to have value and success as a competitive differentiator, which is to say Amazon has essentially pulled the wool over investors' eyes and said, we're not going to make money for a long time. And I guess they haven't pulled the wool over their eyes. They've been very straightforward about, we are playing a very long game here. Right. So in the short term, we're not going to be that profitable if we are at all. And they have used that to build up a business and compete against other companies who have much more short-term objectives. And it's striking to me how Wells Fargo was completely focused on the short-term objectives and didn't at all look at the possibilities, as you said, of the great benefits, but over a long time horizon from CX. And I think Amazon is playing that game with customers. It's building up a lot of loyalty and it is building a huge business based off of the fact that it's saying, you know what, we're going to be very patient with this over five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And we know that a lot of competitors can't wait us out in that respect. Yeah. I mean, there's a pretty good chance in the future Amazon will be (laughs) <laughs> the only retailer yeah, shipping right. everything to you. I don't know that we could say the same of Wells Fargo. No, but I think, and, and I think to your yeah. point, it, to me, to differentiate in the banking industry, to differentiate against Wells, playing that long game where, you know, yeah, I might open the six or eight accounts <laughs> Wells Fargo seem to want every customer of theirs to open, but I'm going to do it over 15 years. And I'm going to do it at as I hit different life stages. You know, when my daughters were born, I opened 529 accounts for them. The financial institution I did that with had to wait three or four years after I opened my retirement account with them, probably three or four years after I opened my checking account with them to get that business from me. 
but they still got it, right? And they got it when it actually was the right time for me to have a 529 account, not when I was going to look at their web platform one day and say, well, why do I have a 529 account? I don't have any children. Like, yeah. what's going on here? Which is essentially what <laughs> Wells Fargo has been doing. Yeah. yeah. So maybe we can summarize some lessons learned from our so from this. Lesson one is listen to podcasts, I think. <laughs> <we're saying. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So lesson one is... I think this got lost a little bit as I was telling the long-winded story of, of losing of, weight. Losing yeah. weight. Um, <laughs> but the companies need to help employees focus on behaviors and activities that they can control, not on outcomes that are outside of their control. Even if you delight a customer in the moment, in the interaction you own, the customer might not give you the 9 or 10, might not open the account because there are other reasons and other factors that they include in their rating or in their decisions to open an account. So focus on the things that the employee can do well as what you goal them on and in what you train them and coach them to do. Yeah, absolutely. That would be my first lesson. Do you you have a, a second lesson for our listeners? Yeah. I mean, I guess the second lesson is think about CX in terms of the long game. It's going to take a couple years for the benefits of better customer experience and better loyalty to play out. But in the end, that is going to be a greater source of revenue than, you know, any of the short term sort of incremental stuff that you're doing. So I think it's really important not to defer calculation, to still make the calculation. This is the business case for CX, but realize that that business case might take a few years to pan out. A third lesson, and I think this is one most for Forrester as for anyone else, but for our listeners too, if you hear a story of a company that's really doing well, whatever the dimension is, just be a little more skeptical than you might be. Um, I have heard a couple of other recent stories in the news that I have to verify and fact check a little bit before I could, you know, call them out the way Wells Fargo is now being called out. But poking holes in really strong results from a customer experience leader or from a, a business leader, you know, you think about um, that uh, that startup with the, the finger prick Theranos or whatever they were called. Yes. Is another one. If they sound too good to be true, it probably 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 is going back to enron back in the day with you know when they were they had their valuation going up to 80 billion dollars and they were defrauding um grandmothers in california on the energy markets just be a little extra skeptical um because it is easy in the short term to pretend to open accounts on your customer's behalf to um send out surveys to only friendly customers or coach them on how to score. So if you see a company's NPS results going up, 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 quarter after quarter, I'm not saying that they're all cheating, but be skeptical. Yeah, to build on your point three, the actual score is not what's important, Mm, right? It's the improvement. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you say, I have an NPS of 87, that's probably too good to be true. But either way, what you should be sharing and celebrating internally is how you can move that up a notch to an 88 or an 89 and not just the score in and of itself. Because that is more telling about what you are doing as a CX pro or an organization than the score itself. And looking at that will also help avoid some of the bias that we've been talking about today. Yeah, that's right. And I'll just add, it will help to keep perspective as you look at some companies who seem to be just going through the gears and on a rocket ship to CX success while your company maybe isn't seeing that kind of improvement, just know that there's possibility that they are um, not at you know having this completely different growth trajectory in their scores than you are. They just are uh, doing something that you would never do in your company, right? I'm sure none of our listeners would game the system to get nines or tens on MPS, right? Yeah. No. No. Not our listeners. <laughs> 
Well, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of CX Cast, where we talked about Wells Fargo and podcasts and the lessons for um, how to focus employees on behaviors and activities and out and uh, things they can control rather than on scores. And uh, we'll talk to you all again next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's CX Cast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And if you have questions or suggestions, please contact me at s-s-t-e-r-n at forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality. 